0: Andrew Hur is an expert on human performance who developed biotech strategy for the U.S. military, including the Navy SEALs. We chat about the terrible health advice from the U.S. government, including the food pyramid, how public health lies have left the average American unsure how to improve their lives, and how to use your personal health data to optimize your energy, focus, and mood. I just mentioned to you the food pyramid. And you've worked in the government. It would actually be helpful before we jump in. Give us a little bit of the background in terms of your work with the military, special forces, all that kind of stuff.
1: So I spent seven years working in and out of the Pentagon, running various human performance efforts, everything from high level, what technology should we be investing in to have an advantage 20 years from now, all the way down to getting guys ready to deploy. I worked with Navy SEALs, worked with Air Force. I worked with a bunch of different groups to like envision
0: the future and to make it happen now. hmm and so we'll get into some of the stuff that you've learned and that people can apply in their life. And that'll be a benefit, hopefully, for a lot of people. But uh, in a previous conversation, we had you had alluded to some uh, philosophies and psychologies of health and the government. I mentioned the food pyramid. You kind of like rolled your eyes. <laughs> what is your perspective on, I don't know, the government's role in health and how health is communicated to people uh, more broadly? You also had a comment where I was said something. You're like, don't trust the government <laughs> to, to do your health for you.
1: Yeah, so basically I think there's a couple things going on. Uh, one, it's hard for the government to be at the cutting edge because they're having to look backwards at data and, and they're relatively slow to change. Mm-hmm. And so even without any sort of like malicious intent by people outside or inside the government, the government's always going to be on some level behind. Mm-hmm. And you want governments to maybe be a little bit conservative, little c conservative in the sense of like not adopting a fad too quickly. But like we're 50 years behind at this point, we do know things that are better. Um, and then the second piece is regulatory capture. Mm-hmm. The people writing the food pyramid and these guides and stuff are either often funded by, or frankly, are actually work for these big food companies. And I don't know if you've ever seen, There's a there's a chart that shows like how many of the food brands are owned by a small number of major mm-hmm. companies and it's not surprising then that these huge multi-billion dollar companies are using that money to lobby and you know it's the old like ketchup or t- ketchup should be considered like a vegetable yeah. problem because they sell ketchup and so they want to sell more of it and how do you why do you need these approvals by the government well it turns out that like for example if you want to control what food goes into schools mm. which is the most important time to feed people good food, but you're going to control it because then these schools have to work with government recommendations.
0: Wow. I'd, and that's also the habits that you establish as a kid carry over for the rest of your life. It's why I, it didn't occur to me until I was older that those beer commercials that insisted that Budweiser was the king of beers were not for 21-year-olds making their beer selection. They were for me at 10. I truly believe that Budweiser was the king of beers. So <laughs> the idea that you can get your soda, your ketchup, whatever into schools because it's a vegetable if it's ketchup. is yeah, wow, how powerful.
1: And if you look at a grocery store, you know, this is well-known, like the kids' sugary cereals are lower on the shelf because kids are shorter. And so you can do all kinds of behavioral things, Mm -hmm. both with messaging, with regulatory capture. So what are your options? And obviously then like in food establishments to make it harder not to make the choice they want which mm-hmm. unfortunately almost always means making it harder to make a good decision.
0: Yeah. So I have found it, I, I expressed to you a skepticism of the health industry, and you sort of were like, we can, we can dive into that. For me, when I think about food, I think at the evolution over the course of my life was first it had to be fat-free, right. and margarine was really good for you when you were growing up. And I, we, had, we did margarine instead of butter because that was better for you. right? And then it was sugar-free, it had to be. And then I started having quest bars that had seven syllable stuff in them. And right, I gained so 10. <laughs> <Zacharias>. <laughs> right. But they had no sugar. Right. And now I'm seeing that this monk fruit is is the new thing. And they I see people talking about dietary fiber after they've grinded up every piece of fruit that you might have and put it into a smoothie. And they're like, this is full of fiber. It's like, no, you just shredded all the fiber that was in this. So yeah, just I'm curious if you can Help me think through my skepticism, which seems really well founded, and uh, I just don't trust so much of what I hear about health. So
1: one, I agree, and I remember all of those yeah. fads. And uh, shout out to my mom, who was like, "No, you need to eat fat." And we were in high school, being like, "No, we shouldn't." Like, <laughs> mom was right there. Yeah. So what do we? What do I understand? If you look at fads, like who's going to drive those? One, they start in a small community, like influencers. Mm-hmm. And then they spread via companies that take them wide. And so the problem with influencers where these fads start is that, one, it is the easiest sales pitch to say, like, to be a guru. Mm-hmm. Like, I have found the mountaintop. Come, come visit. Mm-hmm. Like, I have found the answer. It's very easy to give a very clear answer. Everybody should be eating keto or carnivore or vegan or whatever. It's much harder to give nuance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, there are people out there who give nuance, and I think I really appreciate that. But the vast majority of people who have the biggest audiences are giving very clear, this is the answer. Mm -hmm. Two, especially today with short form like social media, it's actually hard to have enough time to give nuance. And most of the people who are influencers don't know enough to have nuance. Mm -hmm. And the third piece that makes it hard is there really is a tremendous amount of inner individual variability. What's right for you very well may not be right for me. And so we end up in this problem where even the good studies done on, on nutrition, which are very few and far between, okay. are looking at the average results of other people who aren't you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So
1: would you want to run a company or your marriage or like based on the average results of 100 companies that aren't yours or the average results of other couples that aren't yours? That wouldn't make any sense. And this is what people are being asked to do looking at normal studies today, Mm -hmm. let alone the fact that almost all of nutrition is hard to control, is these observational studies that have other factors like, oh, people who eat vegetarian also tend to do a bunch of other healthy stuff. And they try to pull that apart, but you often don't even know what other factors are causing these changes in the data.
0: Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind as – it. I've heard you talk about this in other podcasts, so I want to slow it down. That aggregation effect is so uh, dangerous, not dangerous, but uh, it it can really prevent you from teasing out stuff that would be valuable to you. So one of them that comes to mind for me is cholesterol. So in preparation for this, I had had, uh, my blood drawn and I have higher than the recommended cholesterol. And so specifically, I'm curious, growing up, cholesterol, heart disease, all of that, Is that connected to heart disease in someone of my age, my build? I haven't been great at cardio, I'll be honest. But like if I were to get more serious about my cardio, is cholesterol then a metric that I need to be concerned about? Or is that merely on the aggregate associated with heart issues for people that have a bunch of other comorbidities?
1: So the best data I would say today suggests that your APOB level, which is a sort of like a more accurate way, we could talk about what it exactly means, like kind of a more accurate than your LDL cholesterol, the quote bad cholesterol, is still impacts your risk, Mm -hmm. but modified by inflammation, exercise, Mm -hmm. age, and other things. And so I would say, and your genetics as well. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of factors beyond just cholesterol that are important, but it does appear to be one contributing factor. Mm. And... However, then like the, you know, the, because the studies don't show such huge side effects from the drugs, then of course, like, you know, doctors will say, well, there's no real side effects, but we see, you know, I talk to people all the time who have major side effects from these statin cholesterol lowering drugs. Or, yeah. And so then you could get, but like, there are other options, even if you need to lower your cholesterol. Mm-hmm. So for example, I was working with a client once. We had a great run. We, we experimented and retested his cholesterol with different diets, supplements. We took kind of every holistic approach. Mm-hmm. And he has a family history. Um, so like real risk. And it turns out like basically we tried everything possible. It's just a genetic factor for him. Mm-hmm. But because he has resources, he was able to say, okay, these drugs, the statins don't work for him. They make him sick. So he could move to other classes of drugs like these PCSK9 inhibitors. You know, so this isn't medical advice. So I <laughs> the, say hi to the FDA. I've just been saying bad things about the government. Um, but like, that's a customized approach to his own physiology where he knows he has additive risk because of family history and genetics and other things. Mm-hmm. And so he can approach it in the smartest possible way, which is to look at all his options, experiment with which ones work for him, and if you just gave him the average answer, though, this guy's going to be weaker and have a lower mood and, and generally feel worse than he could.
0: If you give him the average answer, yeah.
1: And so, like, the average is always worse than optimal. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's true just as a general mathematical concept. Mm-hmm. But in health, nowhere is it more important because, the like, I just want to say that again. The average is much worse than your optimal for people. Mm-hmm. And, but there is a way to figure out your optimal, and that's to run experiments. Okay. There is no data set in the world today that can predict exactly what will work for you. However, there is data to suggest what are the most likely things to work. And then if you run them as an experiment, supplements, diet changes, and let's like get rid of the cholesterol thing. Let's talk about having more energy. Yeah, better I was going to say, yeah, because what um, are
0: the metrics that you're using? Because obviously it's easier to track in some ways LDL or free testosterone or all that kind of stuff. Are you guys, you are you collecting subjective data as well, which is energy, yeah. how happy I feel, et cetera?
1: hundred percent. Okay. That's actually in a way it's easier to collect if somebody will interact with your app, which is yeah. to say like I can collect energy levels every day. Yeah. I could conceptually get blood work every day, but that's uh-huh. not really going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, here's the 10 things people care about. Okay. Energy, focus, mood, sleep, gut health, longevity, fertility, fat, muscle, and stress management.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you put, what are the top three? Because I heard some, like, fertility for many, and then I heard muscle. And I was like, for dudes, (laughs) I imagine that's at the top. So,
1: (laughs) I think you can sort of bin energy, focus, and mood. Uh Because many things that will help one will help the other. Okay. Longevity has come... You know, really gotten hot, obviously, with mm-hmm. Huberman, Atia, and these other Rhonda Patrick and these other um, people who are who are putting good content out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, how you look and feel. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I say that in health, people only care about four things. Okay. Which is to say, they don't care about their health. Yeah. Nobody cares about their health. These the only things people care about. Okay. Performing at your job or mission. Okay. With friends and family and relationships, it includes sex. Sports and hobbies and how they look and feel. Mm. And the hard thing, in a sense, is that people don't care about their health. The good thing is so what? People care about these other things. Let's target these others and we'll make them healthier too.
0: Yeah. This is, it's, we've run title tests on our YouTube channel. And we, one of the things that I, we came down to is you can do a thing, which is how to be confident or how to feel confident. And you can test that against yeah. how to look confident and every single time look wins.
2: Yeah.
0: It's just, you know, people that we're not oriented towards our own inner experience, but like you said, you can use our external orientation to be like, and guess what? We're going to sneak in the back door. You're going to feel better. You're going to be healthier. (laughs) Things are going to work generally better.
1: Like, for example, if take a client who has a lot of inflammation, if Mm -hmm. I knock down that inflammation, they have less anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a game changer for somebody's relationships, for their leadership, if, you know, like a founder, a CEO, and just frankly, their happiness. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the kind of thing that is immediately accessible via nutrition supplements, exercise, we can knock down inflammation very effectively. Is that
0: what is the connection between anxiety and inflammation?
1: So it turns out that your brain is is interacting with your immune system at all times. There's signals being sent up up the nervous system into the brain. And then actually your immune system and some of the immune cells will and molecules will make it into the brain. Mm-hmm. And so your, when your brain sees that and gets those signals, it upregulates anxiety. And the reason is probably evolutionarily something like you it's better if you're not interacting with a lot of other people when you're sick mm-hmm. for the tribe. Mm-hmm. And two, you need to conserve energy when you're sick. Especially 10,000 years ago mm-hmm. when you know when evolution was hitting harder than maybe it is today. Mm-hmm. And so, you and know, also to we... be
0: to not spend as much time in environments with things that are activating your immune system, you probably get the heck out of here. Yeah, like you have <laughs>
1: parasites and other things, yeah. so you need to rest. So, yeah. you know, obviously some of that's evolutionary psychology and we're making some big leaps there, yeah, but sure. like there are plenty of good reasons and it's well documented. If I give you an injection of the parts of the cell wall of bacteria that trigger your immune system, mm-hmm you have no infection, just the, the proteins, within two hours, your anxiety will spike and your confidence
0: will drop. Hmm, That's fascinating. So how, I'm curious about like subclinical autoimmune issues because I know some people that have diagnosed really difficult autoimmune, but it seems like not a lot of people. But then within the last 10 years, it's I'm gluten intolerant or I'm this intolerant. And there seems to be this band of suboptimal, my immune system is activating on things that, are causing me some issues uh can you talk a little bit about that
1: yes this is the most important thing going on in society okay because i believe it is at the center of the big puzzle which is like why is everyone getting fatter Mm. why is everyone getting sicker you know you can um like sugar is not good for most people but like sugar consumption has been declining while obesity continues to go up Mm. So you have all these trends that raise the question of, so what is actually going on? Mm-hmm. And the center of all of them is immune dysregulation. Okay. So, okay. So what's, what does that mean? That means that for some reason, our immune system has lost the things that keep it in check. And what's interesting is that doesn't mean, you know, when it's hyperactivated, that doesn't mean you're more protected against getting sick. Actually, you're less protected against sick when your immune system's hyperactivated because it's like it's like there's a signal to noise problem. It's like mm-hmm.
0: someone running around a house is going to see someone walk in. <laughs> wa- you're not going to see the guy walk in the front door. You've got a sentry that's just shouting all day yeah. long. It's like my dog who barks constantly. It's like, actually, we're less safe with you here because we'll never know when somebody's broken. Exactly. It. <laughs> yeah. So
1: um, it's distracted. Your immune yeah. system is distracted attacking yourself. And so it's using up resources. It's damaging your body. It's preventing your body from repairing. It's causing these effects in your brain, like inflammation. So what do I think is going on? One, I think the food we eat, there's something wrong with the food in America. Hmm. It is worse in America than it is elsewhere. And I know this because we have enough clients that travel and feel strangely better. And I get that some people say, oh, you're walking more or you're less stressed. And I think those play a role. But I know from enough of our clients who are tuned into this stuff that there is something wrong with the food in America. Mm. Second, our lifestyle is poisoning us. Mm. What does that mean? Your body needs stress to be healthy. That might seem like a weird concept. We're always told stress is bad, but there's a concept called hormesis, which is if you put stress on a system, it will kind of respond and become stronger. Mm-hmm. The classic example is if I put stress on my biceps by lifting weights, yeah. by doing bicep curls, they will get stronger and bigger. In the same way, if I stress my body, it will tamp down the immune system and make sure it's not hyperactive to save energy for other parts. Like if I go for a run, your immune system will be tamped down often the next day. Mm. You'll see a lot of people, if they exercise the next day, their gut feels better, things Mm. like that. Now, you can overdo it and cause enough stress that it causes damage, but that's the rarer case these days than underdoing it. And then if there's no stress, it starts to just have no reason to kind of build and strength and kind of like protect itself. And then it gets out of control. So food and lifestyle, we have none of the good stressors and all the bad stressors, all these persistent psychosocial stressors. So I'm talking about stress from not knowing what you can say when you're talking to other people, not Mm -hmm. like the economy being harder, it being more expensive to have kids, can't buy a house. All social these media
0: how am i perceived exactly
1: yeah. all of these things so you can show that when you release crh and these various other stress hormones cortisol and adrenaline it will actually cause your gut lining to have less of a, what's called tight junctions which are these like ways you prevent your like bacteria and other molecules that shouldn't from getting through into your gut mm-hmm. and when your gut lining is compromised then all these things get through and your immune system attacks them. They've got inflammation in your gut. So the stress is now causing inflammation. Inflammation is causing anxiety. When you're stressed, you want to eat more sugar, more inflammation. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when you eat sugar and then have a stressful event, you can get double the cortisol release. And so you get, we're stuck in basically these feedback loops, these vicious cycles. And then, yeah,
0: you feel more happy because you're not going to eat your (laughs) Haagen-Dazs. Exactly.
1: Um, There are ways to use sugar as a tool, by the way, Mm -hmm. but they're rarer and they're in specific times. So the long story short is the environment today with food, lifestyle, avoiding sun. Sun is a hormetic stressor on the skin. Skin is like our biggest organ.
0: This is another one that I think is just turning sunscreen all of a sudden, which was you had to sunscreen growing up. And now it's like, well, some of the stuff in sunscreen might actually be causing skin cancer. Now, I don't know if that's true, but just. I mean, at a minimum, it's probably disrupting our hormones. And furthermore, (laughs) it turns
1: out our skin is designed to be in the sun. Mm -hmm. This there's a really amazing study. You have to take it with a grain of salt, but this was done in Scandinavia where the people who get the most sun versus the least is a big difference because in winter, you get no sun up there. The people who got the most sun versus the least sun died at a rate that was equivalent to not smoking versus smoking.
0: The most to the least. So more sun was better. Wow.
1: Now, I'm not saying sunburns are good for you. Sunburns Mm -hmm. are bad. Sunburns are actually inflammation. Mm -hmm. What happens is the UV rays come in. They cause the bases in your DNA to stick together and then your body... Often we'll have to kill that cell if it fails to repair it. Mm-hmm. So we don't want sunburns, but short of sunburns, some sun is probably better than none. Mm-hmm. And even talking to dermatologists, they will quietly generally agree with me, but then they will slather sunscreen on their kids, mm. on themselves. Now, look, you want to, for, for looking good when you're older, maybe protect your face, wear a hat, mm-hmm. other things. You don't have to wear sunscreen. Also physical blockers like sure. zinc oxide and titanium that don't have these chemicals in it, but like full chest and back, maybe legs, uh, you know, we're blessed to be here in Los Angeles where we mm-hmm. get more sun for more of the year. I try to get time in the sun every day, yeah. and I also try to never get burned.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense is that if you get no sun and you only get burns, yeah, that's not good for you. But yeah. if you're getting semi that's like going to the gym, never except to pull a muscle. Yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> And
1: also, by the way, if you have more inflammation, the sunburns are worse and you get them faster.
0: Interesting. Interesting. You had said something about the food in America is not good. I know you don't necessarily know, but do you have a hypothesis as to what is going on with food in America?
1: I have... I think it's a combination of factors. I think everyone who says it's one thing Mm -hmm. is missing the point that like we have 10 simultaneous train wrecks in the food system. Mm -hmm. So I think ultra processed means spiking your blood sugar. It's destroying your gut. Uh, That's a big piece. Two, I think sugar and the amount of fructose are both not good for us, especially when we're compromised. Mm -hmm. So frankly, like, I'm metabolically healthy. I saw my I got my labs done a couple of weeks ago. I know what my fasting insulin is, my fasting blood sugar like things are looking good. I can handle sugar and fructose. Mm. But people who are metabolically unhealthy cannot. So, okay, so and most people are metabolically unhealthy. I mean, obviously look at the obesity rates. Yeah. So now we've got a lack of movement. And again, that's not a diet thing, but it makes the diet worse. Got it. Next next I think these replacements for natural compounds like artificial sweeteners are probably bad from the sense that they reactivate your sugar craving. And so you can't get rid of this demand for sweets. And so we're like toying with our brain chemistry. We know that if you drink sugar water and spit it out, don't swallow it. When you're doing exercise tests, you can go for longer. Oh, really? So our brains have sent, you know, our, our tongue and our mouth has sensors for carbohydrates. And our brains read off that even when we don't consume the sweetness. So there's all these different factors. And I think it's really important to tease apart. If I weren't running Fount, I would probably be working on this topic Mm because I think it's so important. So ultra-processed sugars, bad fats. Mm -hmm. um, And then also just like the shelf life stuff makes uh, gives us big problems because like if you take juice – from stuff that has these potent anti-inflammatory compounds in it, if it's been sitting in a refrigerator shelf, a lot of those are gone within two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Versus if I made that juice fresh or I get it frozen, it might actually be okay for me. There's very different things because now I'm taking anti-inflammatories in with the sugar. But Mm -hmm. if it's been on a shelf for not, maybe even not just two weeks, maybe it's been on a shelf pasteurized for months, I'm losing all these high value compounds. So again, every piece of our food system is messing with the intricate natural balance of compounds. Mm -hmm. And um, at the same time, it's disrupting our system in in these like kind of feedback loopy ways.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah, I think of like, I thought orange juice was good for me. And I think, how many oranges would I have had to have eaten in order to consume the quantity of sugar and orange juice without any of the fiber that I got? And And so let's
1: go down the chain. So you eat an orange versus an orange in a smoothie where you're at least still getting the fiber and other Uh things. And by the way, with an orange intact, it's like a lot of that sugar is locked up in, mm. you, you don't chew every bit of juice out of it. Mm-hmm. And then in a smoothie, it's all unlocked. And then with juice, it's not even there. And it's probably been sitting there for a long time. Yeah,
0: and you drink a full glass. <laughs>
1: and if so, like, and also like, what are smoothies made of? If you go to a smoothie bar and watch, they're gonna pour a lot of juice in there, mm-hmm. like you said. So now here's your nine apples worth of sugar <laughs> with zero apples worth of fiber, because they use apple juice because it's yeah. cheap. Um, pesticides, mm-hmm. hormone disruptors. I think there are people who say each one of these is the only thing that matters, or overblowing it, and people say they don't matter, is missing the entire story.
0: Are you there?'s Are you familiar with a book called The Yoga of Eating by Charles Eisenstein? Um, I'm not familiar, I haven't read the book. So we don't need to go deep into it, but he, um, he suggests that our natural ability to taste what is good for us is blown off by hyperstimulants, basically. Okay. Um, and I was just curious if you had an opinion on that. He says like, look, if you get back out there and you start eating fresh fruit and you start eating meat that is not necessarily from a factory farm, you can taste and feel the difference. But right now you're in such a hyper environment that only like, you just can't tell the difference between these things. I'm curious if you have any,
1: I mean, I think that's patently true. So we know that it's hard to get off sugar. Because it takes about three weeks for the cravings to really go away, mm-hmm. but even one hit of it reactivates them. Mm. But if you wait a few weeks and don't eat any sugar, everything tastes sweeter. Yeah, and so to, I think to his point, our bodies are really good at reacclimating, and we change receptor density and we change like behavior about what we want. So, hundred percent, there you can go on these diets. And by the way, the same thing with light. Light is a big, like, light is the same way. If I take you in a forest and you camp for two weeks, your circadian rhythm will almost certainly change. Oh, mine would
0: dramatically change.
1: Right? And so just like that with food, 100% the, like, hyper um, non-satiating, like, fully available foods that are Mm. hyper-processed definitely change our amount we're hungry and we want to eat.
0: Yeah. So – We've talked about, I don't know if it's bottom up, but how food can impact negatively the auto or the immune system and create autoimmune problems. I've seen people, and we don't have to go deep into this topic, but that have, for instance, fibromyalgia, do a psychedelic thing or they do some ayahuasca and they overcome some internal issue and their autoimmune issues decrease at least for a period of time. So I'm curious about that Mental mindset, internal thing. Does that trigger the autoimmune response as well? Stress and just your own thought loops, etc. Hundred percent. Yeah.
1: So the sympathetic nervous system, which is like the fight or flight system, is kind of the upregulatory stress system. Mm-hmm. Will activate the immune system. It makes sense. We have the same stress system as a zebra. So what's a zebra's stress system designed to do? It's designed to get it away from a lion. Mm-hmm. So now you're a zebra. There's a lion, you know, either one of the other zebras makes an alert noise or you see the lion, you want to dump sugar into your blood, dump fatty acids, amino acids in your blood so your muscles have all the fuel they could possibly want. Mm. You want to make your heart beat faster. You want to increase your blood pressure, decrease blood flow to your gut and skin, which are non-essential. And also if you get, you know, slashed on your skin, you don't want to bleed out. Mm -hmm. And you want to upregulate your immune system in case you get a wound and don't get an infection. So I just said that now stress says increases immune activity, not in a good way. <laughs> Diabetes, heart disease, like every part of metabolic derangement. And then it's deranging our gut. I said it turns off kind of blood flow and activation in the gut. They've actually, there's been some like very early kind of medical studies when they, somebody had a stomach wound. And when this, the patient got really stressed, they could see that his stomach would change color because it had less blood flow to it. Mm. Also, these stress hormones, like, as I mentioned, they kind of weaken these tight junctions. Yeah. So then now the bacteria are getting through, your immune system's activating, it's already hyperactivated, you're not sleeping as well. The first order negative effects of sleep are higher stress hormone levels and inflammation. Yeah. So absolutely, if you lower someone's stress levels, you absolutely can influence their immune system and um, their autoimmune stuff. And you know, you've asked a bunch about nutrition. We're often see people who change their diet and supplement protocols, autoimmune type skin issues get better. Mm -hmm. Gut issues get better. Hmm. And it's not surprising. Like our immune system is very accessible via our diet, via supplements. If you know what you're using, turns out that like most of the stuff you've heard in the past about immune system, like vitamin C for most people doesn't do that much. Hmm. But there are all kinds of compounds, these polyphenol class compounds from fruits and vegetables, anthocyanins, um, these extracts, if made properly, that can really beneficially modulate your immune system. Especially maybe you don't use them every day. You modulate it. Or, hey, you know you're going to eat a meal. We have a protocol for our clients at found where if they're going to eat a cheat meal, we're going to give them stuff that tamps down the inflammation in their gut and systemically. So, like, that cheat meal isn't going to affect them as much.
0: Interesting. So, I don't know if you have any data on this, but if you were to uh, do a survey of people, say, in America 2023, and compare that with a tribe in the Amazon or one of the people with limited contact, the tribes in Africa, or just say someone 10,000 years ago, how do you think the subjective experience of life would have changed? Do you think that people today would describe their lives as being more stressful than in that you call it, quote unquote, more uh, evolutionarily? consistent uh environment
1: i think there are different stressors uh-huh. i mean look in the you know ten thousand years ago uh so was a meaningful a, wound is going to be an infection you're going to die mm-hmm. a, and then you can get that hunting you know if there's a drought and you don't have food you're like half you know half your tribe could die mm-hmm. you know so there were all you know parasites like pretty hard to get rid of back then so I think there were a lot of stressors back then. What I think is interesting today is the question of whether the psychosocial stressors are higher. I think, look, in a tribe, you have major stresses of like, are you in the in group, out group? Mm-hmm. By the way, they can do this in baboons. You can look at the stress hormone levels. Phenomenal book by a, a very famous American scientist named um, Sapolsky. And he, he spent early career like darting baboons and testing their stress hormone levels based on where they were in the dominance hierarchy. Mm. Like this stuff exists everywhere. Everyone's <laughs> got stress in their life because they're like, you know, trying to get to the top so they can mate with more animals. Mm. But then they're like a smaller baboon. So they're getting beaten up by the bigger baboon. <laughs> yeah. like, Everybody's got problems. <laughs> everyone's got issues. <laughs> I think what's really important today is a loss of purpose. Okay. And that matters because... And when I spend time with the military, one of the questions we had is what allows some units to handle the nearly unimaginable levels of stress for people who haven't been in combat of like high-end combat, either what we see today or like go back to World War II, Korea. And it turns out there's two pieces there. Trust and mission focus are the two most important pieces. Trust because when you're with people you trust, your stress levels response to the same event are lower. So you can handle more stress. And then mission focus because you... Get this feedback of like support for dopamine, you don't burn out when you're you have like a kind of shared mission.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: People don't have a mission today, mm. or they're not allowed to. I was looking at some data the other day, you know, obviously a lot more people aren't having kids. A lot of it is not that they don't want kids, you know, some people certainly don't, but like some people don't feel like they can pull it off either emotionally or financially. And so suddenly, like, what are you working for? Mm. Are you working for just to have another vacation? Like that doesn't really work for humans. And what that means is with a loss of purpose, your purpose in a tribe was pretty strong. Like when when you're trying to stay alive and have kids and other things, like you at least have a framework within which to live. Today, a lot of that framework, you know, there's good and bad aspects to religion and other things, but... With the destruction of that, the destruction of all these different frameworks within which people lived, it's just harder to live. And I think there's a level of burnout today that makes it different. Mm. I think the opiate epidemic is a sign of this. Sure, fentanyl is this horrific drug that a grain of you know, sand worth can kill you. But like, why are people addicted to the opiates that get them to fentanyl in the first place? And a lot of it is... There's this feeling of there's no way out. There's nothing to do. You might have been able to get a factory job and people had factory jobs, had decent lives, had great lives, many of them. But that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Have mm. you familiar with that TED Talk? I think it was uh, John or Jan or something like that who talked about how in Vietnam, people would get hooked on morphine and all sorts of opiates, like 80% of servicemen had done it or tried it. And then they came back and there was no explosion of opiate abuse. They just came back in and entered their lives in the conclusion. Have you, are you familiar with that?
1: I'm familiar with the concept. I mean, yeah. I, my dad was a doctor during the Vietnam War and he mm-hmm. knew people who could just do heroin occasionally. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's not really a thing today. <laughs> like people don't occasionally do heroin today. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure some people do, but it's usually like a very addicting drug and I take it this like, it's well known that, for example, schizophrenics will get addicted to certain compounds very, because of their brain chemistry. If your brain chemistry is in a bad place because of despair, although there's been this coining of term deaths of despair, mm-hmm. if your brain chemistry is in a place of despair, you're gonna be, it's going to be harder not to get hooked. Because, like, suddenly, instead of being, like, happy, and then the drugs take you here, it's like, you're here, and the drugs take you here that gulf is much, you know, it's much harder to get out of a cycle when you don't have real happiness and fulfillment in your life.
0: Do you think we don't need to grade the government's response on this, but zero out of 10 COVID <laughs> is that what I was we were say? going to drugs. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, I was going to say COVID and the obviously deaths were prevented through the lockdown the long-term effect of deaths of despair or at least diseases of despair
1: unclear how many deaths were prevented by the lockdown one Uh, yeah and two yes i think Look, i knew not a ton of them but and not the most senior people but i knew people in the public health world i worked in some of the like not was my focus but i worked in some biodefense related stuff with Mm -hmm. the military and what you saw was People who were scientists and policy people, but not operators. And what I mean by that is people who did not have an understanding of the real world. Mm. So when the government chose to lie about things they knew were probably not true, or at least what they believed were lies, because they wanted to get people to do different things.
0: So like, for instance, what are the things that they believed were lies? For example,
1: the government at that time at least believed that masks worked. But they wanted to save the N95s for medical workers.
0: Oh, okay, so they they so they
1: said masks don't work.
0: Yeah, they didn't want there to be to run. And then on they masks.
1: changed their minds yeah. later, and people were like, "You're lying to me." Got but it. you haven't admitted that you were wrong or something. And so, like then, you, people don't believe them. You lose the ability to get behavior going. Mm. Um, and of course, like this idea of like closing gyms and other things is suddenly like-
0: when, <laughs> They shut down the outdoor right, pull-up bars in Santa Monica. Like, could take just, a like, run. Literally insane
1: yeah. if insane is defined as doing yeah. exactly the opposite of what you would want to happen. So mm. look, I think the government did a really poor job and it's not surprising because when you have, I don't know if people are fans of Nassim Taleb who wrote the book Black Swan and a bunch of others, but like he has this concept of intellectual yet idiot mm. where it's like somebody is- notionally smart but doesn't understand how the real world works. I think we've had a lot of intellectual yet idiot problems in the last 5 years in particular. And yeah, I mean we damaged the economy, people's livelihoods. I think of all the people who ran restaurants. Restaurants are a hard business to begin with. A lot of them are mom and pop businesses. Their livelihoods got destroyed. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear that it helped that much. And so yeah, I I am look I worked in the Pentagon and out for, I mentioned seven years. And so I think a lot about, or thought a lot about this question of like, do I try to stay and help things from the inside Mm -hmm. or do I go outside and try to build a new system with the right incentives that can help people? And I'm running a startup for a reason. Yeah. I do not like, I think people working to make the current system better. Absolutely. Every incremental change can help people. I think we have to build a new system in the outside because the current model and the regulatory capture and just the way that medicine and and the health stuff has been done in America is a disaster. And I don't think we can expect it to get better. I think we've just got to build something better.
0: Yeah, it's occurring to me. And this this is a bit cliche, but I'll I'll say it anyway, which is that there's so many topics that we've talked about, which is either sunscreen or the margarine versus butter that are such narrow approaches to a presenting problem. And as cheesy as it is, like a more holistic approach to what is good and healthy that takes into consideration second, third, fourth order effects. But it seems like there's this okay, cholesterol is connected to heart disease. Let's create a statin line that just lowers the number of cholesterol and like we'll market the shit out of that and who knows what happens, but we'll find out in 20 years. Uh, And it seems- I mean, well,
1: this is what we're doing with GLP-1 drugs now, these new obesity drugs. Yeah, oh,
0: and it's so obvious that that is gonna not be, am I crazy that this is just gonna hurt people in the long, this Ozempic stuff?
1: So one, they clearly work in the short term. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, we have years of data now. They clearly work to cause you to lose weight. Part of that weight you're losing is muscle. If you mm-hmm. stop taking them, you gain all the weight back, which is going to be more fat than the muscle you lost. <laughs> I don't have data. My gut. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna give you my gut. My gut is that long term, there's big problems from these things. Yeah. And I, I don't I can't even tell you I know what it is. I'm just telling you, this has every pattern for me of something that causes long-term problems. Like, even, you know, people, one of the kind of interesting and people positive things they report on these drugs is that they lose cravings for other things besides food, alcohol, others, which can be really great for some people. What the heck are these things doing to your brain that they're changing Mm -hmm. your desire patterns? Yeah. Like there's a like, the part of my brain that flags for dystopian stuff, (laughs) it's a little nervous there. And what happens if you stop using them? Are you going to have 10 times the bounce back cravings? Anyways, I don't have, you know, we have data that you gain back 95% of the weight lost.
0: Oh my goodness, which, is a, which you, is a dream drug to market if you're an executive at one forever. of these. Yeah,
1: but like imagine, let's say you lose 40 pounds. That's a huge thing. And mm-hmm. well, by the way, if you lose 40 pounds, your labs will get better. Let yeah. see this. Now, let's say you lost 50% fat, 50% mm-hmm. muscle. When you gain those, you know- uh, You gain 36 pounds back or 38, pounds, 38 back. pounds back. 38 pounds back. I'll bet you a heck of a lot more than- 20 of those pounds are fat. I'll bet it's like 30 pounds of fat and eight pounds of muscle. Mm. And now you're more likely to get hurt, fall. um, Like everything is worse off. So now you have to take this forever. And if there's long-term side effects, you're now between a rock and a hard place. Goodness. But there might even be ways to mitigate those side effects. Let's talk to people about what diet looks like. You know, on average, and this isn't right for everyone, on average... A higher protein diet lowers weight gain post uh, a diet change. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's hard to eat a lot of protein with these because they slow your gut from emptying. But like, let's get people on a relatively higher protein diet if they're going to do it. Let's get people strength training and lifting weights. The military ran a study uh, that took people and put them at a profound calorie deficit. I think they had a multi-thousand calorie a day calorie deficit, like 2,000 calories a day because they were exercising a ton, they were eating, but exercising a ton. Because they were exercising so much, these people, 2,000 calorie a deficit, lost no lean mass. Mm. Like you can be at a huge calorie deficit and not lose muscle. So why aren't we telling people, yeah. hey, how in to addition do this. to yeah. doing these, you've got to lift weights.
0: Well, nobody wants, that's they want the pill. you <laughs> but,
1: but some people don't even know. I run into people yeah. in my daily life the woman who cleans my dad's house. Mm-hmm. Like I was over there and we're talking and my Spanish is pretty broken, but she was <laughs> asking me questions. She was mentioning she had a health thing and I was just asking her, her diet and she was telling me the good you know, things she thinks she's doing are good. And some of those are a disaster for mm-hmm. her. Like she was talking about all the carbs she's eating and she has like a, a fatty liver. And I was like, you know, again, I can't give you medical advice, mm-hmm. but it's pretty clear that eating things that quickly turn into blood sugar are not yeah. going to help you here. Um, the people who, you know, were guards at a building I used to work in, I would talk, I love talking to people and they'll mention things and you'll be like.
0: Did they think we're good? Yeah.
1: Like, hey, just so you know, like, that's not like, you've been told the wrong thing by your doctors. And honestly, it, like the advice I can give in passing, one of the guys lost 50 pounds while I knew wow. him. And like, look, I'm not going to say that was all me. His wife was helping him, he who's doing exercise, all these things. But like, he had never been given good clear advice mm-hmm. that landed you know most doctors get less than three hours of training in nutrition in all of medical school it's mm-hmm. not three credit hours it's three total hours yeah which is to say that they do not know much about nutrition so what can they do they can just give you a platitude recommendation that no that everyone's heard a hundred times and doesn't care about what do they know about sleep most, you know, some, obviously some doctors know a lot about these things. Most doctors don't have real insight into sleep and we get doctors as clients sometimes because we we can solve problems with tools that they're not experts on.
0: Yeah. I had, I mean, the last doctor, not the last, but I went to a doctor and I'm not even gonna tell the story. It doesn't matter. It was just not what I wanted. Um, and he sent me in the wrong direction. And I've had that happen a couple of times. So this is one of the questions that I'm bumping up into is it seems so, I don't want to fall into the fringe lost part of either side so on the one hand you've got trust the science the doctors all agree then you've got your own experience which says well that doctor told me to do this and that was the wrong this would tell me to do this this told me to do this now i'm going to go with my gut on vaccines i'm going to go with my gut on this and i'm struggling because i think through some of the i don't know where to trust agreed upon medical advice and where to go how does this intuitively feel if i go with my intuitive feeling there's a number of cases where it's been good. Jewels were fine until they weren't. And now you get popcorn lung, right? Everyone, well, there's no studies and they're totally good for you. I could just go down the list of yeah, things yeah. that just that just doesn't feel right to me. And then five, 10 years later, it's proven to be the case. So how, how do I or one sort through trust the science versus it doesn't feel right?
1: Let me make everybody angry at me and yeah. tell you why I think both sides of the COVID debate yeah, were yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Sure. The people who were like, the vaccines are crazy safe. Just take mm-hmm. them. They're going to be great for everyone. One, the the risk of acute Ill, seer, severe illness for young people or healthy people is extremely low. I just
0: had a mutual acquaintance of ours here and he had a vaccine injury.
1: Yeah. And obviously people got... I know people who got hurt yeah. really badly yeah. with these. Okay. So what does that mean? And also, we don't know the long-term effects of vaccines. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying we do not know. Now, the other side says wait a second, we don't know the long-term effects of vaccines and COVID is not that bad for young people, but we also don't know the long-term effects of getting COVID. Mm -hmm. And for example, it's pretty clear that COVID damages your vasculature, the inside lining your blood vessels. It's a great setup for later heart disease and strokes and blood clots and things like that. So both sides are ignoring this large unknown factor in making their argument with extreme certainty about the one piece they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So both sides ignore the long-term effect. I believe that long-term COVID, especially multiple infections, is going to be a major risk factor for heart disease and strokes. Got it. I don't want that to be true, but I'm I feel confident enough to predict that that will happen. So there was a risk reward of getting a vaccine, mm-hmm. and you have to really think through that risk reward and then ideally do the other stuff that makes you Safer. Okay, Mm -hmm. so how do you handle this world where both sides are ignoring key data points? Mm -hmm. There's two classes of things. There's classes of things where you can run experiments yourself to figure out what works for you. And there's classes of things you can't. Like vaccines, you can't, you know, you can't take it and see what works and and then 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 not not (laughs) take it. So let's at least look at the things we can control. In 46 states, you can order your own blood tests online. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Wearables can help you track your sleep. They're not the craziest accurate thing in the world, but they're pretty good at telling you if it got better. If it's getting better, it's probably getting better. If they're getting the scores are getting worse over time, it's probably getting worse. If you mark down how you feel every day, you can get a good sense of your subjective experience. So we have all this data we have access to now. And um, depending on your level of resources, it might not be that expensive. Run the experiment. Mm-hmm. See what makes you feel better, perform better, and what makes your blood markers better. The one thing I think we can say for sure, for example, is there's nobody out there arguing that your CRP, this major marker of inflammation, should be higher. This Mm -hmm. is one of the few things people agree on. Let's get that level low. Mm -hmm. There's there's a number of things that people generally agree are good. Let's work to how you feel, how you perform, and and at least some of these biomarkers. And you can run experiments with nutrition supplements meditation breath work sleep light temperature exercise recovery even prescription drugs you can run your own experiments on that's the way to do it it's time to figure out what works for you not the average of some other group of people who as you said you may not even be able to trust so i think this is like the really happy story i know most of what i'm saying is like i don't trust these people (laughs) bad incentives disaster let's talk about the happy story happy story is we now have the tools and access to metrics and other things to pretty rapidly figure out what works for you. And mm. you know, my job and what we're doing in the company is actually building data sets to f- help it easier to target like, hey, of the 40 experiments that work for people for energy, these 5 are the most likely to work for you because I want it to work fast cuz mm. people lose interest in things. I want to make you feel better fast. And then oh by the way, I want to by the way, I might be lowering your inflammation to make you feel better. I might be doing all these things that have awesome long-term benefits. And so, I think the good news is we actually today know how to do it right now for the things that you can't run the experiments on today. Then if you're not an absolute expert, like I read scientific papers all the time. And so I'm at the point where now where I can, I have a category of scientific papers I call lying with data. Mm -hmm. Like I can read (laughs) these and be like, this is bullshit.
2: Yeah.
0: Interesting. So you're not, you need
1: to find your best option is to try to figure out who the people are you can trust. And on average, that person will sound annoyingly nuanced. Yeah. Like I think Peter Tia is one of the better people in the space and he will hem and haw about things. Mm -hmm. He's super excited about some of his longevity stuff that I think he's probably wrong about. Mm -hmm. Some of it he's right about, but like the good news is the heuristic of people who will give you both sides and, and say there's nuance and say it depends on the person, that's a first heuristic. The second heuristic is who has changed their mind over time? Mm-hmm. Somebody was commenting the other day back to Atia that like, oh, he doesn't even take statins anymore. He's changed his mm-hmm. prescription protocol. That actually, to me, is a very interesting comment. Like, I want to see people who change their mind mm-hmm. for very good reasons and don't hide it. Yeah. You know, like there's this like there's a bunch of these stories about like vegan influencers then caught on tape eating meat. Yep. It's like if you be- if vegan works for you and it works for some people, then like by all means. But one, do not tell me it works for everybody because that's not true. And two, if you found that it's no longer working for you, this is information that would be good for everyone else who's listening to you. Like keto can help people. and But like if women do keto for a long period of time, some men also, but women get hit harder, like can really mess up their hormones. Mm. It doesn't mean keto can't be helpful for some people. It doesn't mean there aren't women who do great on keto. But again... Things are different between different people and different for you across time.
0: Yeah. I had a friend who suggested many years ago that there should be an accountability.com where all of the major uh, gurus and influencers were categorized and then checked back in years. You get, you know, a red, a yellow, or a green on the predictions and the <laughs> recommendations that they made. Such a thing will probably not exist, but how, uh, and how I, useful. I just want to know
1: who <laughs> on average is doing better. Yeah. Because this stuff's probabilistic. Sure. Um, and that's what, so like, yeah. you know, we want to figure out, what works for people win, and that's the cool thing about all this data is we're getting better at predicting it. You know, we run yeah. a coaching program and build, and so we think like, what are the protocols that work for at least twenty percent of people? It mm-hmm. works for one percent of people. That's not that interesting. It's just too many people are going to fail out of it, unless you can really target it. What are the protocols that work for twenty percent of people? And then how do we pick which ones are about to work for you? Mm-hmm. And then there are things that do work for more than eighty percent of people. And then let's get those out to the world to know, like, hey, this is very likely to work for you. And if we target it, it's really likely to work for you.
0: Let's, uh, we will hop over to my blood stuff in just a moment. But I want one that I know that our audience, which I think is primarily guys, is curious about, like the big markers testosterone or free testosterone mm-hmm. for them. Um, first off, what are the subjective reports in quality of life or energy as a result of increasing testosterone? Are they powerfully connected?
1: Yes. And. Some of it is not the testosterone. Okay. Why? So Okay, so what's going on here? If you have really low testosterone, you're going to feel worse for sure. Mm -hmm. But when you have low testosterone and you're not 75 or 80 years old, something is causing it to be low. Mm. The two big players are inflammation and stress. Got it. We've talked about those. By the way, what do inflammation and stress do? They make you feel worse. So
0: you get rid of stress, your testosterone goes up as a product, but you're like, the thing that made me feel better was not my testosterone going up, it was my stress going down. Well, let's (laughs) do both. It's both of them. So,
1: you know, that's one of the reasons I'm very skeptical of putting younger guys on testosterone, on Mm. TRT, because it often is papering over the problem. So, look, having somebody profoundly low in testosterone is not good for them. It's bad for muscle mass, it's Mm. bad for mood, it's bad for all kinds of things. But like, let's fix the core problem if we can, instead of just putting everyone on drugs. And I like so I it. think a lot of these companies that sell TRT to guys in their 30s and 40s are probably doing them a disservice unless you're really sophisticated and you say, OK, I'm going to use this testosterone to boost me out of this yeah. low, to start working out more, to, to fix everything like if you're gonna do that, like cool, I you know, I don't I don't have a moral view mm-hmm. on taking testosterone. I just think a lot of guys are need to fix the underlying problems or they're gonna have long term issues.
0: It also is interesting. You mentioned before, it seems like a heuristic that is not hundred percent, but it's still powerful, is if you are going to take an intervention that you are required to take for the rest of your life, whether it's a statin or TRT or something else, that's something to look at twice because yeah. you've your body is supposed to and is capable of providing you with what you need <laughs> and in almost it, all cases and if yeah. you have
1: a weird case where yeah. your testes conked sure. out for whatever reason get on the juice <laughs> right away 100 percent. it's just not most people so got it. like you know back when the military we used to talk about enhancing soldiers there were all these like bioethics types who got so uncomfortable or it's unfair like what are you talking about i don't ever want our soldiers in a fair fight mm-hmm. Like there's no such thing. The only reason steroids and performance enhancing drugs are unfair in sports is because they agreed not to do them. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with using any performance enhancer as long as people know what they're doing. And that's, you know, and that means they have to understand the actual risks and that they're the advice they're being given lets them take holistically into account how this is going to affect people's lives. So, you know. We do have to figure out what we want to do with like, for example, if you ask Olympic athletes, a lot of them, there's been some studies of this, if you could take a pill that would make you win a gold medal, but you die in like, I forget it was five or 10 years. A lot of them will take that pill. So should that pill be allowed? I don't know. Maybe not. Like there are things you should regulate. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of these people who says everything should be legal and openly accessible, but um, I certainly don't have a moral problem with people enhancing their performance, especially like a lot of people I know are trying to do good things for the world, building companies, other things. I want them to be enhanced, but I also want them to have the opportunity to align the short and long term.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. People will die for a gold medal. I they guess. Well,
1: it's their whole myth mi- because it's their mission in life. Mm-hmm. It's the meaning in their life. And if people don't have meaning or any other meaning, then they will do almost anything.
0: Yeah. I, broader stories I I feel need to be told or offered to people or the opportunity to create them. Because it's wonderful to win an Olympic gold medal. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to block anybody from pursuing that, but. I think that, no,
1: I mean, and by the way, I'm not criticizing Olympic athletes. I think that's awesome. I think to have that sort of intense drive and focus, I think it's required for the world. And I do think they're doing something noble. I think they're shining, setting an example for the world of what it means to try to be great. So, I actually have tremendous respect for the best pro and olympic athletes. So, I'm not knocking them at all. I'm not sure we should be handing out drugs that kill you in 5 years. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, look, over the last 4 years working to build the company I am, I have done things that hurt my long-term health. Okay. Slept less yeah, than I yeah. would have liked to, other things. And for me, so like why would I do that when I know the impact really well? I've like something of an expert on it because it's worth it for me for the mission and i'm doing all kinds of stuff to mitigate the effects and make sure it doesn't have as big an effect and then now i'm in a place where i can take better care of myself thankfully but i do believe there are missions greater than just like some weird objective thing about longevity Mm -hmm. Um, but we've there are great ways to align both
0: yeah Totally agree. Well, maybe we can dive into that now. I can pull up the uh, test results if you'd like to check them out.
1: One of the things I notice off the top here is you have pretty high vitamin B12 levels, mm-hmm. right above, kind of above the normal level. What's interesting there is for people who have, a lot of people have low B12 and supplementing there is incredible because you have more energy, you feel better, it protects your nerves. There is some evidence that if it's too high, it may predispose you to lung cancer though. Mm-hmm. The evidence is from studies that weren't designed to find this. And so again, it's a little bit less clear if it's how strong the connection is, but there's three or four lines of evidence that say too much B12 might be a problem. And so we want people not to be low. And by the way, I think the measure of low on normal lab tests is way too low. Mm. So normally it'll say like either 300 or 200 is the bar for low, but between three and 400, like 5% or more of people will have mental symptoms. Mm. So I, Certainly, like, above 400 or 500, but, like, when people are at, like, a 1,000, we think yeah. maybe pull back supplementation, you can do it every other day or if you don't yeah. need a supplement. So that's something I noticed in the labs. And, and we
0: did determine that I'd take a B12. I take ab 12 i did not even realize I was taking that supplement.
1: I mean, from the labs, it was very clear you were <laughs> yeah, but Yeah, <laughs> from thing, my, life. I don't know what I'm talking um, And, you know, we were talking about it earlier, like, you know, your testosterone levels are pretty good, but they jump all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, again, I think that's often a sign of, like, hey, is there… Is there something changing? It? Is it stress, inflammation, or the big mm-hmm. ones, sleep, other things? Um, let's dive into – before we dive into sleep, okay, so I said your gut could be a factor here. It, it's been a
0: factor my whole life. Okay, great. Yeah. So
1: let's let's now think about what are the experiments we would run. So we yeah. found, found an area to work on. Mm-hmm. Great. So we're going to run experiments um, from simple to harder. Yeah. So, for example, supplements tend to be easier to take. So what are supplements that can help people's guts? For example, curcumin, which is the extract of turmeric, can be anti-inflammatory in the gut. It's not absorbed well into the blood, so they mix it with things to try to make it absorb better. But I think what people miss is maybe the whole point it's not absorbed is the point. It's like actually working in your gut. Two, um, magnesium can help the gut both calm down nerves and also allow the gut to move better. Um, for the gut, magnesium citrate is often a good form because the citrate counter ion, actually that is a short chain fatty acid that can feed bacteria in the gut. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, a plant extract called quercetin. It's just kind of like yellow green extract. that can actually tamp down the activity of, of mast cells, which are what kind of regulate allergies in the gut. So that, okay, those are three different supplements we might try. We might try different types of fiber for you. Some mm-hmm. people do well, some people get loaded on it. The next thing we're going to think about is meal timing relative to stress. Mm -hmm. When you're more stressed, your gut is more sensitive. I talked about earlier about how stress can weaken those tight junctions. And then third, this is one of the harder ones to do. But in terms of the thing that gives the biggest payback to people, an elimination diet is Mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, We're going to take you down to the things that almost nobody is sensitive to and then add things back one at a time. Yeah. And we're gonna, we know which ones are most likely to affect you because we do this with a lot of people. Yeah. So we're gonna test dairy, wheat, corn, soy, and then nightshades. Tom Brady is kind of famous for not eating nightshades, which Mm -hmm. are tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, peppers, Mm -hmm. because he says they're inflammatory. And the answer is not for everyone. Yeah. But for some people, they are. And then a big one people don't talk about alliums, garlic, onions, chives, Mm -hmm. shallots. That's a huge one i'll be at a table with people and watch them eat something with a lot of onions and then they're like nose starts running they're coughing their mood gets worse and i'm sitting there watching a person have an allergy to this Mm. thing but then why can't you test for these allergies because they won't show up for most people
0: so this is a question so i've done a food allergy test and i and i've gotten some out what what happens with these food allergy tests why so it
1: turns out that these food allergy tests are testing in your blood right okay but The majority of these food sensitivities are happening. It's an allergy only in the lining of your gut. It Mm. doesn't even exist in your peripheral blood. Now, if you have like a peanut allergy that like causes your throat to swallow, that you'll see in the blood. But for people who have these food sensitivities, it actually is an allergy. There's some great research out of a Belgian group shows it is an allergy. but because it's only happening in the gut you can't test for it unless you do an elimination diet mm. which means that most of the food allergy tests on the market are total BS
0: if they flag something as being an allergen does that mean that it's necessarily bad for you because for instance I got avocados and it was like these Not are yellow okay yeah I don't want to stop eating avocado
1: I mean but run the experiment you know <laughs> sure. like all so the experiment the months.
0: experiment is much more valuable than a food allergy test is what you're saying basically yes.
1: okay. unless you have like one of these profound food allergies yeah. And by the way if you do you
0: you, you know it. Know. You know. Yeah.
1: But yeah. Like, and the answer is again, some of them will be right and some will be wrong, but they're wrong so often that it's much better. You unless, just test. like, yeah. I'm not saying, like, hey, if your throat swells with peanuts, test it. Like, okay, we've got mm-hmm. that one. But for these other factors, when you're like, oh, I don't feel as good. My stomach rumbles. I'm bloated, go with the elimination diet.
0: What is the time period of measure after an elimination diet? So, like, is yep. it an hour after a meal or is it 24 hours after a meal?
1: Most people will feel something within a couple of hours. Some people almost immediately. Yeah. Um, And how long do you want to do it? So you want to take like a washout period and get rid of the most of the allergens for four or five days, even three or four days. And then a few days with each thing. Mm -hmm. We have a protocol where we can take you through in a month everything. Now that's a, you can also break it up into a week here and a week there. That works Mm -hmm. too. Um, But in a month I can take you through and I have never had anyone. Trying to think through in my history of hundreds of people I've worked, I've never had anyone run an elimination diet and not found anything mm. that makes them feel better or worse. And it's not always food. Like one guy I'm thinking of, it was beer versus wine. Mm. And um, yeah, so again, like that's so for you for the gut, that's a super powerful one as well. Yeah. And then uh, if it's stress related, which we'd have to go deeper on, we might try meditation and breath
0: work. Yeah, and that stuff has been has definitely been helpful okay so you can do in a month you can basically have a clear idea if there's food categories or types that are creating it and that is i'm just asking that's something that you'll feel like you that okay people
1: will notice rumbling bloating Mm. gas okay some like diarrhea some change that Mm. is noticeable Mm -hmm. where you don't have to take some fecal sample or something and send it to a lab
0: yeah got it that's fascinating
1: um the good news is also, by the way, that doesn't mean you have to not eat those things for the rest of your life. It means you know, hey, if I a eat choice. this, I'm going to feel yeah. worse. Mm-hmm. Fine. If I if somebody wants to take me tonight to a Michelin star restaurant, I will gladly eat things I know are going to make me feel worse because it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But day to day, I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. And two, there are things we can use to mitigate it. I mentioned before that Kirsten mitigates the mast cell activation that's part of that allergy response. Great. When you take that with foods that are messing you up, you don't have as big a response. Awesome. So know when to take it.
2: Yeah,
0: cool, cool. Okay, so that's the diet part. And I think that's probably a huge piece for me. We mentioned some sleep. We don't need to go too deep on all of these because I'm sure people don't really care about my (laughs) approach to this. But for them, I imagine that like resetting your circadian rhythm having a constant i don't have a consistent time that i go to bed i wake up and go to bed at different times that probably is a huge point of intervention as well
1: it helps light yeah um light is a big one along with the circadian rhythm putting on my
0: glasses my blue light blockers <laughs> i love it
1: i love it you're looking styling i can't do this um you know when i did it we, like that was one of the interventions when i was working with jason Calacanis, where he like really loved how he felt with mm. them and like started wearing them during the day because blue light can be really stimulatory get people headaches and stuff so you can use blue light glasses during the day mm. and then also at night to really uh, support your circadian rhythm and then sleep quality. So the major things to test for sleep quality are temperature of the room, temperature of the bed, which, you know, a lot of people use these eight sleep. Do you like the eight sleep?
0: Is that something that you... I,
1: yeah, I think these okay. that stuff is good. Even just lighter covers will help yeah. you. The so temperature, light, you know, the sort of cheap and easy way to do it is a $20 or $30 pair of blue light blocking glasses are are great. Make sure they have orange lenses because the ones with clear or yellow lenses aren't blocking enough to matter. Mm-hmm. And then um, so light temperature, taking a shower before bed can be helpful because it washes off allergens. Mm. Also, it's right, it increases your body temperature, and then your body dumps heat and decreases it. And that drop in body temperature is actually a sign to your brain that it's time to go to sleep. Mm. So often, like Warm shower to a cold bed is like pretty much optimal. Oh, interesting. And then stress levels. So that's meditation, breath work, staying away from your phone at night. It's actually yeah. this really interesting, some good studies on this interaction between exciting content and bright light. Both of them together have this additive effect whereby you um, you don't feel tired when you're watching something exciting with bright light. But if you didn't have the bright light mm. or you didn't have the thing that was exciting, it doesn't hit you as much. Mm. So then you feel better. You want to go to sleep, maybe at a time that's better for you.
0: Um, if you're so, not super stimulated, like exactly, like you've gotten used to. Interesting. Uh, I'll have to sit down and think, what changes am I willing to make? But okay, so we went through this broadly, but we've, and you've mentioned a couple of times. You've got Fount. Uh, you mentioned Jason Calacanis. You've also worked with people like Shane Battier. Talk just a little bit about that in case people might want to follow up. What are the sorts of things that you guys have on offer?
1: Yeah, so we do three things at Fount. One, we coach people, and that's very concierge one-on-one. And we will, you know, imagine the questions I just asked, but times 100 Mm -hmm. with all the blood work, with all the wearable data, and we'll optimize for whatever your goals are. Mm -hmm. What's much more scalable is we also, every time we find a protocol that works for more than 80% of people, we turn into a product. Mm -hmm. So jet lag is now a choice. We can send 90 plus percent of people anywhere in the world with minimal to no jet lag. Mm -hmm. We discovered what's going on and how to turn it off. Turns out the pressure change in flight and the low air pressure causes an inflammatory response in your body. We know how to turn that off, flip your circadian rhythm super quickly. If you were leaving for Tokyo tomorrow, you could leave in the morning, not do anything before tomorrow morning, and I should be able to get you to sleep well first night in Tokyo. Mm. Two, PMS, immunity, fertility. Um, and how to sleep better after you drink. So we have products coming out. The fly is our jet lag product. Yeah. The other kit products are launching here in the next few weeks, which we're really excited about. And then the third piece is, how do we make experimentation and customization more accessible to people? Mm-hmm. So very quickly, soon here, we're gonna be launching a new product, which will be these boxes of experiments. So we have an app that makes it really easy to run experiments, walks you through what to do, when to do it allows you to like report how you felt and and then automatically ingest wearable data and it will automatically analyze it for you. And then you can buy a little, the little packs of supplements to run the experiment and we'll give you the experiments for meditation breath work where you don't need anything. And so we're going to have these experiment packs that you can buy and it will walk you through them and we'll give you the top eight sleep experiments or the top eight energy experiments. And, um, We've seen this approach work really well with people who can't afford our very expensive coaching service. Mm -hmm. So I'm super happy to democratize this and get it out to more people.
0: I imagine you're excited about using, feeding that data into some sort of AI thing and going rather than have to do this intake call. We can have an AI look at your wearable data plus your subjective report and like give you perhaps an even more trustworthy thing than a human could give you at some point.
1: I don't want to give you the top eight experiments to run. I want to say the odds are these two are the right ones. Let's test these first because yeah. we like there's a 96.3% yeah, yeah. probability. We want to build the m- model from all n of one experiment data. Like the, you know, n is how many people are in a study, and of mm-hmm. 50 would be 50 people in yeah. a study. When we say n of one, we mean experiments on yourself. Mm-hmm. We want to build the biggest and best data set of N of one experiments in the world. Mm-hmm. So that instead of looking at the averages of groups of people. We can say, what do people like, what works for people like you and that AI and machine learning stuff is so good at this. So we're so gonna. You're only build, getting
0: people that are like similar age or similar blood work or similar to this. And we know that this is gonna work, but we know that- And like for and, your yeah. patterns, these yeah. are the things, we don't know it's gonna work, but these are the things that are most likely to work. Mm-hmm. So
1: within three or four days, you run two experiments and bam, you found the best thing for you. And it you. feels
0: good very quickly, yeah. And
1: so people talk about personalized medicine is because it works better. I want it to work faster. Because mm-hmm. if it doesn't work quickly, people get bored and don't focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanna just give you win after win after win. So you can look, feel, and perform like you want.
0: That's awesome. I think that's one of the things, I mean, when you look at any sort of stuff like the gym, it's people, there's no doubt that it works, but the the speed is just too slow for many people to get committed to it over time. Like if every time you ate a piece of food, your belly got larger and it stuck out versus every time you did a curl, your bicep curl. (laughs) Be very easy for people to stick with it. But the speed or the time lags just throws many people off
1: totally and so we want to make it fast and i want i want every week for you to discover something that makes your life way better mm. and i think that's totally doable that's what we're building as a company and the ne- this new set this new experiment approach with an app where you can run them at home without needing a multi-thousand dollar a month coach we've used that to bootstrap the protocol list and the targeting algorithm and now we're getting ready to launch the stuff. And so super excited.
0: Cool. All right. Well, we, we mentioned it, but where can people find that? If there so fears? people
1: can find us at fount.bio, F-O-U-N-T dot B-I-O. You can find us on uh, on socials at fountbio. And then you can follow me at, at Andrew Herr, H-E-R-R-B-I-O. So everything with the bio at the end. <laughs> uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, and yeah, if you have topics you're interested in, send them over. Um, and uh, happy to put out tweets and comment on those as well
0: beautiful well thank you so much man i appreciate you coming out here awesome so much fun all right later guys peace